0: Good morning. morning. I'm Stuart Fink, the worship leader for today's Laylit service. It was 10 years ago this month that I signed my name in the membership book. Currently, I serve on the worship committee and the board of trustees. Today, October the 4th, is the feast of St. Francis of Assisi. St. Francis is known as The guide, the guide for Animals. And we celebrate animals today as many churches do. The words leading us into worship this morning come from Reverend Mark Bellatini who served as minister here at Star King UU Church. This is from his poem, Part as Parcel. I am part of you, O truth unfolding. I am part of you, I am part of a cosmos. I cannot see either its edge or its end. How amazing. I am part of a galaxy of a million billion stars. They say it's a pinwheel. How wonderful. I am part of a system of planets that swing around a small parent star. How strong the hands of invisible gravity must be to hold it all together just so. I am part of a planet, green and blue, along with mountains and seas, sponges and spores, lichen and lava, robins and rain, periwinkles and perch, centipedes and cities. How great the variety. How astonishing the mutual dependence of it all. I am part of a species that belongs to a grouping of animals called mammalia, and so is every other human being equally so. I am part of a political unit called a nation. There are many nations, each of them dear in many ways to its local citizens. I am part of a family with ethnicity, practice, and love in the form of food, rooted in the mountains of Amelia. Others know other roots, other practices. I am part of a circle of friends rooted not in ethnicity or food, but in simple redemptive love. I am part of a climate region, part of a state, part of a city, part of a neighborhood, part of a congregation, and part of a staff. And with you, I am part and parcel of this moment, this simple silence, which lasts but a few breaths, and then is gone forever. But like cosmos, galaxy, planet, species, nation, climate, city, neighborhood, family, and circles of friendship. It is precious, a present for which I give thanks.
1: Good morning. My name is Daryl Ray, and I've been asked to talk a little bit about my current relationship with animals at Sunny Slope Feminine Farm. For me, it's not only pets, of which I've had many, but also farm animals like our chickens and our goats and the wild animals surrounding us, the deer, turkeys, jays, owls, hawks, foxes, coyotes, raccoons, and even skunks. These all bring joy and meaning to each day. I don't see the relationship to be one of domination or dominion. If anything, it is one of sometimes interdependence, partnership, sometimes steward, sometimes reluctant adversaries. Let me first <clears throat> try, uh, try to give you my perspective about my view of this relationship and then I'll give you a couple of stories. I think that most will agree that language and the choice of words affect our perceptions and our thoughts. We do the same when we talk about other forms of life. We we create this otherness by calling them animals or lower forms of life, less intelligent, and so on. As a biologist trained in the 70s, I remember how animals were considered to not feel the same as we do, that they don't have intelligence or anything close, anything close to humans, that they were set apart and that we were set apart and above other animals. But my training and my teachers planted a seed that would later in life make me realize that there is no real difference between our animal cohabitants and us. We all share the same genetic legacy. Our evolution started at the same time, but, with, but our DNA traveled billions of different paths alongside each other over the 3.8 billion years of life on this planet. Evolution doesn't really provide a goal. It is just what results when natural selection and mutation occur. We are not better than other animals. We are animals. We now know that we are not so unique. Other animals have intelligence, perhaps great intelligence, just different from our own. And I'm certain that some can experience love and most likely hate, can learn complex uh, tasks and can understand things, but maybe not in a way that we can recognize. This is why my relationship with animals uh, and our animal friends is complicated. So, when we had the chance to move to a place where we could be surrounded by the natural world, both Renee and I looked forward to having uh, a simpler life, one that would keep us closer to Earth. And I will say that it has not always the fantasy perfect existence that we imagined, but one that has given us many wonderful and memorable experiences, and sometimes more work than we bargained for. I remember when our wonderful, friendly golden retriever, Chief, discovered a strange black-and-white creature in the middle of the pasture on one of the first days at Sunny Slope. Renee and I heard the insistent barking and immediately began frantically calling him back to us. The terrible image of that poor skunk flying through the air and that change in Chief's voice when he discovered that he had made a terrible mistake (laughs) will always remain in our our memories. It bothered us that that wild creature died, but it also reminded us that life and death were fundamental, a lesson we have experienced over and over again. In this case, we also set out to find the best recipe for skunk odor removal. (laughs) A couple of years later, Renee and I got uh, to experience the midnight birth of our goat, April's two male kids. It was miraculous and thankfully nearly perfect. Birth is one of the most powerful moments. Experiencing the birth of the two kids, Abe and Adam, reminded me how grateful I was to have been able to experience the birth of my own son, Nathan. A year later, April's sister and cousin, Apricot and Lucy, both gave birth. Apricot's labor was a much more difficult and frightening experience. Hours later, with the help of an experienced vet, three kids were delivered. Sadly, one was stillborn and the others, Alice and Augie, were exhausted but thankfully alive. Luckily, a day later, Lucy delivered a healthy lavender. The experience of those births reminded us that that life isn't always a happy story. We were really shaken and frightened at how quickly things can go wrong. We could empathize with the new mothers. Another aspect of our lifestyle is that of caring for livestock uh, always comes with a price. Um, Folks with pets know this as well, of course. They can't be ignored, and they require attention every day. In the morning, I let out the chickens, check their water and feed. April gets milked. And taken up to be with the rest of the goats. At night, Nathan feeds the animals again and brings April down to the little barn where she stays. A short time later, I will milk her. April and I have an understanding that, he's evolved, that it has evolved from our daily routine. Goats are different from dogs and cats, probably no less intelligent, but not affectionate in the same way. But we do have ways to relate. Goats love to have their heads scratched, and if my arm gets within reach, she will give it a nibble, sometimes not too gently. Mm -hmm. If she wants more food, her front leg will move slightly, and I know that in about a half a second, she'll try to kick the milking hand uh, away with her hind leg, which means I quickly feed her again. (laughs) So all in all, she has me well trained. (laughs) Let me last say a couple of words about the deer. We have always, uh, they have always been a welcome sight at Sunny Slope. After we finally enclosed all the gardens and orchards with fencing, tall enough to keep the deer out, our relationship improved even more. <laughs> there are still many plants that the deer forage upon, and we see them daily all over the place. They're often browsing in the pasture not far from the goat's, and in the morning, we may see them down by the oaks near the, near the front door or in the back. Usually, they stay f- pretty far from us. But this past year, Renee had an experience with a deer that I was very lucky to observe. I was watering young apple trees um, about 100 yards downslope from our driveway where Renee was working. She had just come up the driveway in a tractor mower and a few minutes before I heard it turn off, And then suddenly I heard a a bleeding sound. I thought it was one of the goats. It sounded like a young kid, although our kids were grown at that point. And I looked up and I noticed that Renee was holding this kid, or not this kid, this this fawn in her arms. And it was crying out, and she had just been able to uh, release its leg, which had been caught in the fence. And so she had walked up very slowly, trying to say soothing words. And was able to pick it up, and it quickly uh, kind of shook itself free, and she set it down, and it scampered off, um, only with a slight limp. Uh, The farm and mom, uh, we see them still around the farm, and they are doing quite well, so it was a lucky experience. But it was also very memorable for me, because I'd never seen someone, especially Renee, the person I loved, with this animal, wild animal in her arms. So it will remain with me for the rest of my life. So how do these stories um, relate to the earlier comments I made about evolution and our relationship, genetic relationship with our um, cohabitants? Well, all these experiences remind me that we are surrounded by other beings whose lives are just as important and personal as my own, at least to them. Knowing this makes me appreciate their gifts of milk, eggs, companionship, and experiences, and much more. Gratitude is the word that sums up it best.
0: Are our pets dependent on us, or are we dependent on them? Our pets depend on us to provide them with food, shelter, and medical care. In turn, they provide us with endless entertainment, affection, companionship, and love, Bob and I share our home with three cats, 17-and-a-half-year-old Kitos, who was adopted from a shelter in Huntington Beach as a six-month-old, and Duke and Davey, who are now one-and-a-half years old and were literally rescued from our backyard. I had a cat two years older than Kitos when Bob and I first met, but we sent her to Kitty Heaven three years ago. Shortly after that, we moved to Hayward from Rivet City, and we started looking for another cat. We went to the Hayward shelter in early spring, last year, but surprisingly, they didn't have too many kittens, as it wasn't quite yet kitten season.
2: So we started researching cat breeds on the Internet in the hope of finding the perfect addition to our home, which we were hoping would be a short-haired female Siamese cat. But meanwhile, our neighbor, who is an unabashed cat lover and had been feeding a male stray, told us that another cat had showed up in the neighborhood, and she had started feeding this cat as well. Well, not surprisingly, a few months later, this cat returned to her door with four cute little kittens. Fortunately, she realized she better do something about this. So she bought a trap and uh, trapped the, the mother and had her fixed, and then she trapped the father and had her fixed. But what to do with the four little ones? She already had five indoor cats, and her partner had said, no more indoor cats. So Sandy and I read that there is a critical time in a feral kitten's life when they are six to eight weeks old when they could still be domesticated. So we estimated these kittens to be in that range, so we thought about catching one or two and trying to domesticate them before they became too wild. If not, these four kittens would be doomed to spend the rest of their lives outdoors. So we borrowed the trap, and over Memorial Day weekend last year, we set it in the backyard, and it didn't take long before we trapped the black-and-white short-haired male we called Duke. So there's pictures of him, the second row of pictures there. I don't know if you can see from sitting down. And then uh, we set the trap again. Oh, actually, let me finish here. So we put him in the upstairs bathroom with a shoebox full of litter, then set the trap again and caught the uh, long-haired tabby. We would first name Daisy because we thought he was a she and Daisy and Duke goes together. It wasn't uh, until about a month later we learned that Daisy was a male, so we changed his name to Davey. So I guess you could say he was a transgender for his first (laughs) (laughs) We released Davey into the same bathroom as his little brother, and they seemed so happy to see each other as they cowered in the bathtub. The wallpaper in this bathroom is a type of rattan, which meant that when we opened the door in the morning and surprised the the boys, they would sometimes find they climbed three-quarters of the way to the ceiling. (laughs) They would meow in the window, and a few times we saw and heard their mother outside responding to their cries. They started using the litter shoebox quickly, so after a few days we thought we could move them into the office. Taming wild kittens is by no means easy. Trying to pick one up is like holding a squirming cactus. We needed gloves for at least a couple of weeks and still needed Band-Aids a few times for the scratches caused by their sharp little claws. It was only when they were in a food coma with swollen bellies that we were first able to pet them. Gradually, over a period of several weeks, they let us pet them more often, and finally, Duke started to purr one evening while Davey looked at him curiously, seemingly wondering, what is that noise he's making? (laughs) A week or two later, Davey started purring, and, and we considered our rescue mission complete. Due to their rapacious appetites, they grew very fast. In a matter of six weeks, Duke weighed six pounds, which was more than Kitos, our older cat. By, by Labor Day, we had firmly decided to keep them and took them to the vet for shots and, and get neutered. So meanwhile, our neighbor had trapped the remaining two kittens, and one female was accidentally run over by her car, unfortunately. But the remaining male is still out there. He occasionally comes and visits his brothers. They look at each other through the screen door he looks at his brothers living in luxury inside the house while he's outside having to fend for himself. One morning we saw him bring a little baby rabbit in the yard and feast on him. Yeah, circle of life. So even though we had started to research purebreds and were looking for a short-haired female, we're very happy with our rescued kittens. We like to tell friends that some people pay hundreds if not thousands of dollars to get a purebred cat from a professional breeder. Well, we sat a trap in our backyard and caught ours. So ultimately, if we hadn't done what we did, these cats would be running around outside in our yard and using our garden as a litter box. So in the long run, it's much better for them and for us as well to be the recipients of their affection and hopefully appreciation for rescuing them. Mm
3: The image of squirming cactus just stays with me. I think that's, so, oh that's such a great term. Stewart suggested that I connect this reading to one of our UU principles. In choosing our first principle, the inherent worth and dignity of every person, I realized I was taking liberties and probably owed someone an apology for doing so. I have elevated my dog into a person. In reviewing the relative good and evil that humans and dogs have inflicted upon our planet, I do believe I owe an apology to dogs. People and dogs historically have had a special relationship. I've had cats who can be lovable creatures, guinea pigs, cute but stupid, tropical fish, beautiful in many ways, but neither cute or loving. But dogs, especially the one I'm going to tell you about, tug at the heartstrings like no other species. And that's not to say that they are the most intelligent nonhumans on Earth. Many of the apes, marine mammals, I've been told, and I've been told that pigs rate higher on the intellectual scale than dogs. Growing up in apartments, I was never able to keep a dog, but was drawn to just about every canine belonging to my friends and even strays willing to spend a few minutes allowing me to scratch their ears or rub their bellies. So when I finally was living in a suburban home of my own, one of the first things I wanted to do was enter the world of dog ownership. And I didn't particularly care what breed or combination of breeds it would be. I just wanted a puppy. It's a good thing I wasn't too specific, because he was a mix of several differing generations of mixes. I never liked the term mutt, so when asked about his breed, I would simply answer, he's a plain dog. Since he had come from an environment of questionable sanitation, the first thing we did was take him to a vet to make sure he was healthy. The veterinarian's assistant asked what his name was. We hadn't named him. The woman said he looked like an Elmer, (laughs) and that's what he was and remained for all of his days. Our house in New Jersey had a screened-in porch which faced the street. Every day as I drove up the driveway, there was Elmer peering out. He would disappear immediately on seeing my car, but was at the front door when I came in and I soon learned to brace myself for his affectionate leaping attacks upon my person. While I always liked to think I was his favorite, the fact is that Elmer simply loved people. It took a while, but we soon learned that not all of our friends enjoyed having their faces licked upon entering our home. (laughs) Elmer had some peculiarities. Most dogs love to chase a tossed ball and bring it back to their human playmate. Elmer vigorously would chase the ball, pick it up in his mouth, and then turn turn back toward me and drop the ball at his feet. But he would not return the ball. He would simply drop it and wait until I came to pick it up. It became evident who was training who. (laughs) Elmer watched first son Steve and then daughter Jody come into the home. He posed no threat to them. Both his human newcomers were welcomed as younger siblings. To this day, I believe he taught my son how to walk on all
0: fours.
3: (laughs) Was Elmer smart? Of course, I believe he was the brightest dog that ever lived. If he was hungry, he would push his empty bowl at your feet until it was filled. He had four rubber toys, a football, a lamb chop, a chicken, and a piece of bread. Even when in a different room, I commanded, Elmer, go get your chicken or any of the other toys, he would race to where they were and return with the correct toy, always. Well, most of the time. (laughs) While he doted on the companionship of humans, when it came to other animals, not so much. We once had out-of-town guests who brought their tiny chihuahua to stay with us for a couple of days. Although about three times the size of the visiting canine, Elmer spent those two days hiding under the bed. His fear of animals was not limited to other dogs. Cats, squirrels, even large insects terrified him. (laughs) By the time we were moving to California, Elmer was already 13 years old and showing signs of slowing down. But he still was as affectionate and loving as ever, So we bought a pet carrier and, upon the vet's recommendation, tossed a pair of my unwashed socks into the cage before it was loaded onto the plane. When, upon arrival at SFO, we picked up the container, there was blood on the rungs of the cage, where our poor dog had tried in vain to gnaw his way out. He survived the trip in the cargo hold, but he was never the same. Two years after arriving in California, my wife and I had separated and were living apart. The children and Elmer stayed with their mother for the most part. I had a job where I traveled frequently and often without prior notice. Steve and Jody did spend alternate weekends at my place, and I always got a wet dog kiss from Elmer when I picked them up. The dog was nearly 17 with multiple ailments from crippling arthritis to incontinence to cancer. My ex-wife in consultation with a local, local veterinarian came to the logical conclusion that Elmer had to be put down. Sadly, I could only agree. The night before his final day, I went to say goodbye to my buddy. He was in a room by himself. When he saw me, he slowly walked over, and with a painful shriek, the result of his arthritic hips, he jumped up to give me one more slobbery dog kiss. Saying goodbye to that dog was one of the most tearful experiences of my life. My bond to him, and I'd like to think his to me, was as deep as any between humans. Goodbye, old friend. Elmer has been gone for over 30 years, almost twice as long as his time alive. I still feel him. I love dogs, cats, and just about every animal I can think of. But if I could have the most exotic pet in the world, I would have had that ragged, nondescript, chunky piece of unconditional love beside me exactly as he was.